Section four of the Princess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Princess by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Part three. Morn in the wake of the morning star came furrowing all the Orient into gold. We rose, and each by other dressed with care, descended to the court that lay three parts in shadow but the muses' heads were touched above the darkness from their native east. There, while we stood by the fount, and watched or seemed to watch the dancing bubble, approached Melissa, tinged with wan from lack of sleep, or grief, and glowing round her dewy eyes the circled iris of a night of tears. "'And fly!' she cried. "'Oh, fly while yet you may! My mother knows!' And when I asked her how— my fault she wept my fault and yet not mine yet mine in part oh hear me pardon me my mother tis her wont from night to night to rail at lady psyche and her side she says the princess should have been the head herself and lady psyche the two arms and so it was agreed when first they came but lady psyche was the right hand now and the left or not or seldom used hers more than half the students all the love and so last night she fell to canvass you, her countrywomen, she did not envy her, who ever saw such wild barbarians, girls more like men. And at these words, the snake, my secret, seemed to stir within my breast, and, oh, sirs, could I help it, but my cheek began to burn and burn, and her lynx-eye to fix and make me hotter, till she laughed. Oh, marvellously modest maiden, you, men! girls like men. Why, if they had been men, you need not set your thoughts in rubric thus for wholesale comment. Pardon, I am shamed that I must needs repeat for my excuse what looks so little graceful. Men, for still my mother went revolving on the word, and so they are, very like men indeed, when with that woman closeted for hours. Then came these dreadful words out one by one. Why, these are men! I shuddered and you know it. Oh, ask me nothing, I said, and she knows too, and she conceals it. So my mother clutched the truth at once, but with no word from me. And now thus early risen she goes to inform the princess. Lady Psyche will be crushed. But you may yet be saved, and therefore fly. But heal me with your pardon ere you go. What pardon, sweet Melissa, for a blush? said Cyril. Pale one, blush again. Then wear those lilies better blush our lives away. Yet let us breathe for one more hour in heaven. He added, lest some classic angel speak in scorn of us. They mounted Ganymedes to tumble Vulcans on the second morn. But I will melt this marble into wax to yield us farther furlough. And he went. Melissa shook her doubtful curls, and thought he scarce would prosper. "'Tell us,' Florian asked, "'how grew this feud betwixt the right and left?' "'Oh, long ago,' she said, "'betwixt these two division smoulders hidden. "'Tis my mother, too jealous, "'often fretful as the wind pent in a crevice. "'Much I bear with her. "'I never knew my father. "'But she says, God help her, "'she was wedded to a fool, "'and still she railed against the state of things. "'She had the care of Lady Ida's youth, "'and from the Queen's decease she brought her up, but when your sister came she won the heart of Ida, they were still together, grew, for so they said themselves, inosculated, consonant chords that shivered to one note, 
one mind in all things. Yet my mother still affirms your psyche thieved her theories, and angled with them for her pupil's love. She calls her plagiarist. I know not what. But I must go. I dare not tarry. And light as flies the shadow of a bird, she fled. Then murmured Florian, gazing after her, An open-hearted maiden, true and pure. If I could love, why this were she. How pretty her blushing was, and how she blushed again, as if to close with Cyril's random wish. Not like your princess crammed with erring pride, nor like poor Psyche whom she drags in tow. The crane, I said, may chatter of the crane, the dove may murmur of the dove, but I, an eagle, clang an eagle to the sphere. My princess, oh, my princess, true she errs, but in her own grand way. Being herself three times more noble than three score of men, she sees herself in every woman else, and so she wears her error like a crown to blind the truth and me. For her and her Hebes are they to hand ambrosia, mix the nectar. But ah, she, whene'er she moves, the Samian Hera rises, and she speaks a Memnon, smitten with the morning sun. So saying, from the court we paced, and gained the terrace ranged along the northern front, and leaning there on those balusters, high above the empurpled champagne, drank the gale that blown about the foliage underneath, and sated with the innumerable rose, beat balm upon our eyelids. Hither came Cyril, and yawning, Oh, hard task! he cried, no fighting shadows here! I forced away through opposition crabbed and gnarled. Better to clear prime forests, heave and thump a league of street in summer solstice down, than hammer at this reverend gentlewoman. I knocked and bidden entered found her there at point to move, and settled in her eyes the green malignant light of coming storm. Sir, I was courteous, every phrase well oiled, as man's could be. Yet maiden meek I prayed concealment. She demanded who we were and why we came. I fabled nothing fair, but your example pilot told her all. Up went the hushed amaze of hand and eye, but when I dwelt upon your old defiance she answered sharply that I talked astray. I urged the fierce inscription on the gate and our three lives. True, we had limed ourselves with open eyes, and we must take the chance. But such extremes, I told her, well might harm the woman's cause. Not more than now, she said, so puddled as it is with favoritism. I tried the mother's heart. Shame might befall Melissa, knowing saying naught she knew. Her answer was, Leave me to deal with that. I spoke of war to come and many deaths, and she replied, her duty was to speak, and duty, duty, clear of consequences. I grew discouraged, sir, but since I knew no rock so hard but that a little wave may beat admission in a thousand years, I recommenced. Decide not ere you pause. I find you here but in the second place, some say the third, the authentic foundress you. I offer boldly, we will seat you highest, wink at our advent, Help my prince to gain his rightful bride, and here I promise you some palace in our land, where you shall reign the head and heart of all our fair she-world, and your great name flow on with broadening time for ever. Well, she balanced this a little, and told me she would answer us to-day, meantime be mute. Thus much nor more I gained. He ceasing came a message from the head. 
That afternoon the princess rode to take the dip of certain strata to the north. Would we go with her? We should find the land worth seeing, and the river made a fall out yonder. Then she pointed on to where a double hill ran up his furrowy forks, beyond the thick-leaved platens of the vale. Agreed to, this the day fled on through all its range of duties to the appointed hour. Then summoned to the porch we went. She stood among her maidens, higher by the head, her back against a pillar, her foot on one of those tame leopards. Kitten-like he rolled and pawed about her sandal. I drew near, I gazed. On a sudden my strange seizure came upon me, the weird vision of our house. The Princess Ida seemed a hollow show, her gay furred cats a painted fantasy, her college and her maidens empty masks, and I myself the shadow of a dream, for all things were and were not. Yet I felt my heart beat thick with passion and with awe, then from my breast the involuntary sigh break as she smote me with the light of eyes that lent my knee desire to kneel, and shook my pulses, till to horse we got, and so went forth in long retinue following up the river as it narrowed to the hills. I rode beside her, and to me she said, O oh friend, we trust that you esteemed us not too harsh to your companion yestermorn. Unwillingly we spake. No, not to her, I answered, but to one of whom we spake your highness might have seemed the thing you say. "'Again?' she cried. "'Are you ambassadresses from him to me?' "'We give you, being strange, a license. Speak, and let the topic die.' I stammered that I knew him, could have wished. Our king expects. Was there no pre-contract? There is no truer-hearted. Ah, you seem all he prefigured, and he could not see the bird of passage flying south, but longed to follow. Surely if your highness keep your purport, you will shock him even to death, on baser courses, children of despair." "'Poor boy,' she said, "'can he not read? No books? Quoit, tennis, ball, no games? Nor deals in that which men delight in, martial exercise? To nurse a blind ideal like a girl, methinks he seems no better than a girl. As girls were once, as we ourselves have been. We had our dreams, perhaps he mixed with them. We touch on our dead self, nor shun to do it, being other, since we learnt our meaning here, to lift the woman's fallen divinity upon an even pedestal with man." She paused, and added with a haughtier smile, "'And as to pre-contracts, we move, my friend, at no man's beck, but know ourself and thee. O Vashti, noble Vashti, summoned out, she kept her state, and left the drunken king to brawl at Shushan underneath the palms. Alas, your highness breathes full east, I said, on that which leans to you. I know the prince, I prize his truth, and then how vast a work to assail this grey preeminence of man! You grant me license, might I use it? Think, ere half be done perchance your life may fail, then comes the feebler heiress of your plan, and takes and ruins all, and thus your pains may only make that footprint upon sand which old recurring waves of prejudice resmooth to nothing. Might I dread that you, with only fame for spouse and your great deeds for issue, yet may live in vain, and miss meanwhile what every woman counts her due—love, children, happiness!" And she exclaimed, "'Peace, you young savage of the northern wild! What though your prince's love were like a god's, have we not made ourselves the sacrifice? You are bold indeed. We are not talked to thus. 
Yet will we say for children, would they grew like field-flowers everywhere? We like them well. But children die. And let me tell you, girl, howe'er you babble, great deeds cannot die. They with the sun and moon renew their light for ever, blessing those that look on them. Children, that men may pluck them from our hearts, kill us with pity, break us with ourselves. O oh, children, there is nothing upon earth more miserable than she that has a son and sees him heir, nor would we work for fame, though she perhaps might reap the applause of great, who earns the one pousteau whence after hands may move the world, though she herself affect but little. Wherefore up and act, nor shrink for fear our solid aim be dissipated by frail successors. Would indeed we had been, in lieu of many mortal flies, a race of giants living, each a thousand years, that we might see our own work out, and watch the sandy footprint harden into stone. I answered nothing, doubtful in myself if that strange poet-princess with her grand imaginations might at all be won, and she broke out interpreting my thoughts. No doubt we seem a kind of monster to you. We are used to that, for women up till this cramped under worse than South Sea Isle taboo, dwarfs of the gynecium, fail so far in high desire they know not, cannot guess how much their welfare is a passion to us. If we could give them surer, quicker proof, oh, if our end were less achievable by slow approaches than by single act of immolation, any phase of death, we were as prompt to spring against the pikes or down the fiery gulf as talk of it, to compass our dear sister's liberties. She bowed as if to veil a noble tear, and up we came to where the river sloped to plunge in cataract, shattering on black blocks a breadth of thunder. O'er it shook the woods, and danced the colour, and below stuck out the bones of some vast bulk that lived and roared before man was. She gazed a while and said, As these rude bones to us, are we to her that will be? Dare we dream of that, I asked, which wrought us as the workman and his work that practice betters? How, she cried, you love the metaphysics? Read and earn our prize, a golden brooch. Beneath an emerald plain sits Diotima, teaching him that died of hemlock. Our device, wrought to the life. She rapped upon her subject, he on her, for there are schools for all. And yet, I said, methinks I have not found among them all one anatomic. Nay, we thought of that, she answered, but it pleased us not. In truth we shudder but to dream our maid should ape those monstrous males that carve the living hound, and cram him with the fragments of the grave, or in the dark dissolving human heart, and holy secrets of this microcosm, dabbling a shameless hand with shameful jest, encarnalize their spirits. Yet we know knowledge is knowledge, and this matter hangs. Howbeit ourself, foreseeing casualty, nor willing men should come among us, learnt, for many weary moons before we came, this craft of healing. Were you sick, ourself would tend upon you. 
to your question now, which touches on the workman and his work. Let there be light, and there was light. Tis so, for was, and is, and will be, are, but is, and all creation is one act at once, the birth of light. But we that are not all, as parts, can see but parts, now this, now that, and live perforce from thought to thought, and make one act a phantom of succession. Thus our weakness somehow shapes the shadow, time. But in the shadow will we work, and mould the woman to the fuller day. She spake with kindled eyes, we rode a league beyond, and o'er a bridge of pine-wood crossing, came on flowery levels underneath the crag, full of all beauty. Oh, how sweet! I said, for I was half oblivious of my mask, to linger here with one that loved us. Yea, she answered, or with fair philosophies that lift the fancy, for indeed these fields are lovely, lovely are not the Elysian lawns where paced the demigods of old, and saw the soft white vapour streak the crowned towers built to the sun. Then turning to her maids, Pitch our pavilion here upon the sward, lay out the viands. At the word they raised a tent of satin, elaborately wrought with fair Corinna's triumph. Here she stood, engirt with many a florid maiden cheek, the woman conqueror. Woman conquered there the bearded victor of ten thousand hymns, and all the men mourned at his side. But we set forth to climb. Then climbing Cyril kept with Psyche, with Melissa, Florian, I with mine affianced. Many a little hand glanced like a touch of sunshine on the rocks, many a light foot shone like a jewel set in the dark crag. And then we turned, we wound about the cliffs, the copses, out and in, hammering and clinking, chattering stony names of shales and hornblende, rag and trap and tough, amygdaloid and tractite till the sun grew broader toward his death and fell, and all the rosy heights came out above the lawns. The splendour falls on castle walls, and snowy summits old in story. The long light shakes across the lakes, and the wild cataract leaps in glory. Blow, bugle, blow, set the wild echoes flying. Blow, bugle, answer echoes dying. Dying, dying. O hark, O hear, how thin and clear, And thinner, clearer, farther going. O sweet and far from cliff and scar, The horns of Elfland faintly blowing. Blow, let us hear the purple glens replying. Blow, bugle, answer echoes, Dying, dying, dying. O love, they die in yon rich sky, They faint on hill or field or river. Our echoes roll from soul to soul, And grow for ever and for ever. Blow, bugle, blow, set the wild echoes flying, And answer echoes, answer dying, dying, dying. End of section 4